going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1. As we continue on in our series of the Spirit Produces, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Last month we dealt with, while the Sundays we were able to be here, we dealt with um, love. And now we move on to, to joy. I, I mentioned Abusa Chimombo, and he really was just the most joyous person I've ever met in my life. Um, he didn't have much in this life. It wasn't a whole lot that he owned. Um, he had a good family, and he had great friends, and he had a long um, service to the Lord as pastor of First Baptist Church of Kasungu, Malawi, and uh, just one of my favorite people. And um, He also found joy in reproducing believers and uh, so making disciples. And so I just praise the Lord for him and the impact he's had on my life. Uh, and I know today is a day with the rainish stuff that's coming down that uh, joy may not be the first thing on your radar when you wake up on a day like today. It may be just actually um, trying to tread water. I don't know. Maybe that's the way it is for you today on a day like today. Um, joy may not be the first thing on your radar when you wake up in the morning. I don't know if it's because of financial things, family things, home, job, whatever it may be. Um, joy may not be the first thing that you're thinking. Maybe it's just I need to survive. I need to endure. I need to persevere. I, I, want, you to, I want you to hear today, though, this truth. Endurance is part of the Christian life, but endurance produces joy in the Christian Endurance doesn't produce drudgery in the Christian. In the follower of Christ, enduring trials produces joy. That's God's design. It could not happen unless that was God's design and he was the one who accomplished it. So if you're here today and you're in the middle of trials, if you're in the middle of drudgery, if you're in the middle of just really hard times, God's design is that those trials would produce joy in you. And so I want you to hear that good news today. And I want us to deal with this joy issue. We've been dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. And as we deal with the fruit of the Spirit, we're told that all believers are going to exhibit fruit. That we are connected to the vine who is Jesus Christ. That His Spirit is moving in us and producing something in us. And these fruit of the Spirit are one fruit that is produced by the Spirit, not various things that we get to pick and choose from. So you can't pick to be loving but have no patience, right? You can't pick to be patient but have no self-control. The believer in Christ is going to have all of these things being produced in us. So it is something that God is doing, but we're also told to pursue these things. We're told, we're commanded, we're absolutely, without apology, told by Jesus do this when it comes to these fruit as well. So we're supposed to be something and we're supposed to be doing something as well when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. So as we look at joy, joy is supposed to define us, but joy is also supposed to be what we give to the world. So over the course of this month, you're gonna, we're going to deal with today kind of a definition of this true Spirit-given joy. You're going to hear about those things that might kill joy in our lives, those things that are fighting against us. We're going to talk about fighting for joy, and we're going to talk about spreading the joy to the world as well. So today I wanted to deal with just a kind of a real definition of true spirit-given joy so that we at least know what we're talking about because there's lots of ideas of what joy is. And if we're talking about true spirit-given joy, it's got to be different than joy we find in anything else. 
And we're not talking about the difference between happiness and joy. Those are just two completely different things. Happiness is a good thing. Okay? A lot of times when we try to compare happiness and joy, we say, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. And I think that's just a lie. I think happiness is a good thing. God is not against happiness. Okay? He, he just doesn't promise happiness. Okay? He doesn't promise happiness based on circumstances, but he promises something that he gives. And that's joy. It's not something your circumstances will produce. It's something that he gives and he produces in us. And that's joy. Happiness is circumstantial. I'll give you an example. My wife makes me happy sometimes. Ah, yeah, you heard the operative word there, right? Sometimes. I'm sure I make her happy sometimes. Probably less sometimes than she makes me but my wife makes me happy sometimes. And then there are some times where my wife does not make me happy. And yet I rejoice in her commitment, her love, her, right? There's a joy that comes from being married to her to know that though we're not happy right now, there's something greater that holds us together. My kids make me happy sometimes. They do sometimes. Kids really make me happy sometimes. E- even the recorder that they brought home from school makes me happy. I think I've shared about this before. The recorder is a lot of fun around our house. I, I was asking Joanie a couple of days ago as Cassie was playing her recorder. I said, how, how much longer does she have that recorder? Um, and Joanie said, oh, they get to keep them. <laughs> that What occurred in me at that moment was not joy. <laughs> it was not happiness it was um why didn't we homeschool that was that was my first thought (laughs) was my first thought sorry it was my first thought um no so the recorder yeah but i should have joy in this my daughter is enjoying playing the recorder not only that as a dad i should be really thankful that the two songs she plays all the time right should bring joy to me one she's constantly playing ode to joy how can i listen to ode to joy and not in my mind continually sing joyful joyful we adore thee god of glory lord of love right i mean that, that should just be in my mind all it has to be in my mind all the time otherwise i'll go crazy as i hear ode to joy over and over again on the recorder and the other song is the theme from star wars how bad can this actually be in my house if i'm hearing ode to joy and the theme from star wars and yet you know i'm sitting here and it's not happiness it's it's joy that my daughter is finding enjoyment and she's practicing and she's self-motivated and there's all kinds of things that are greater than the happiness or unhappiness that comes from the recorder um so we, we want to make sure we're defining joy in the correct way. And we want to make sure we understand where joy is coming from. So what I wanted to do today is I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And I want to ask this one question. And I think it's a pretty important question. I think you'll agree when you hear the question. The question is this. What is a real Christian? What is a real, genuine Christian? Because 1 Peter 1 shows Peter concerned with that issue and looking at believers and saying, this is how you test the genuineness of your faith. So he's going to deal with us in how to test the genuineness of our faith and how to look forward to the outcome of our faith. So he's dealing with the genuineness of our faith and the outcome of our faith. And at the heart of both of those is joy. 
So if you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word, First Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, it says this, In this you rejoice. If you see rejoice, we're talking about joy. Okay. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So you're rejoicing in trials for a little while, and this is what the trials are supposed to produce. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, verse 7, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what he's saying. He says, the first test of what a real, genuine believer is, you're testing the genuineness of your faith. The real test is this. A real Christian, a genuine Christian, is one who finds their greatest joy in Jesus as they're tested by temporary trials of life. That they are able to have joy during the trials because their heart and their mind and their joy is not set on the temporary trials, but it's set on the eternal reality of the revelation of Jesus Christ where we're going to be found blameless and perfect and holy because all of this testing on this earth, all of these trials are producing holiness in us. The first test for what a real genuine Christian is is that the temporary trials of life bring joy to us because we look through the trials and see the produce on the other side, what God is production, producing in us, what the production is, that God is producing holiness in us. And we see Jesus on the other side. Look at what it says in verse 7. So that this, all of this testing would be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a greater reality at play in the middle of our trials. The test of a real, genuine Christian, and and it's not my words, it's what he says in verse 7, isn't it? There's a tested genuineness of your faith that comes through these trials. And we rejoice in that because it's testing us and finding us to be in Christ. That's the first test. The second test is in verses 8 and 9. What is a real, genuine Christian? One who finds their greatest joy in Jesus with a faith in Him and hope to the eternal salvation of our souls. Look what he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A real, genuine believer is a person who walks by faith, not by sight, and finds their joy in the one they can't see. Look at what it says. He says, you can't, you've never seen him, but you love him. You can't see him right now, but you believe in him, and you rejoice in joy with what he's producing in you, the salvation of your souls, the outcome of your faith of what he's making in you. So this is, this is the way it works out practically. We live our lives by sight. We find joy in things that we see and we hold and we touch. We find joy in the things that bring us immediate satisfaction. We, bring, we find joy in the things of this world. The way John puts it is he says it's the pride of life, it's the lust of the eyes, it's the lust of the flesh. We, we tend towards those things and we find joy and satisfaction in them. 
But the true, genuine believer finds joy and satisfaction not in the things that they can see, but in the one they can't see. You can't see Him. You've never seen Him, but you love Him. You can't see Him right now in the middle of your trial. You can't see Him, but you believe in Him. And you rejoice, not just with that, this is going to be great one day, but with the type of joy that He says is inexpressible and filled with glory. The tested genuineness of your faith is that joy produces joy, produces joy, produces joy. Because of Jesus. We love Him though we can't see Him. We believe in Him though we can't see Him. We rejoice in Him though we can't see Him. That's what it is to walk by faith and not by sight. So, so this is the test for us. How can we get that joy? Where does that joy come from? It, it obviously is a work of God because it's not something that we can just muster up in the middle of the trials to say, rejoice. But it is a command as well. We're told in Scripture not only that joy is going to be produced by the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, that that joy is going to produce, be produced by the Spirit. We're also told to rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In all things, we're supposed to have joy. So if, if that's the case, how do we get that joy? Well, what I want to do today is I just simply want to do this. We, I want to turn our eyes to our salvation. I want to turn our eyes to the walk that we have with Jesus. I want to turn our eyes to Jesus himself and show you that joy is right at the heart and is at the very heartbeat of this life we have in Christ. So you have in your bulletin a place to take notes. This won't take long. We're just going to run through a few passages of Scripture. I want you to see these. I want to make sure you understand that joy is at the very heartbeat of the life we have in Christ. You might want to write down these verses so you'll be able to look them up later as well. First of all, joy is the very purpose of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Joy is the very purpose of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 Verses 11 through 14. Colossians 1 verses 11 through 14 says this. May you be strengthened with all power according to, the, to his glorious might. So the strength that we're going to get is not ours. It's according to his might. Okay, that's what he says. And he goes on for all endurance. So the strength we need comes from him with all, for all endurance and patience with grumbling. Is that, that's not what it says. It's patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So this is what he's saying. He says, I'm praying that God would give you strength according to His power, that what you would have is endurance that would produce joy, that would look at the fact that Jesus has qualified you to an inheritance that has brought you out of darkness into light, that you get in the end that is part of this new domain you live in. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. His prayer is that the might that the Lord would give us would demonstrate joy in the fact that we've been redeemed and saved by Jesus. Jesus saved us so that we would produce joy. He said it another way, didn't he? I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. Right? He came to give us 
fullness of life, not just a drudgery of life. This is the purpose of what Jesus has done. In fact, we can go so far as to say this, that Jesus endured the suffering for a joy that was coming. He says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's what we're told. So there's a joy on the other side of that suffering, and that joy is the redemption of his people, the purchase of his bride, the people of God. Joy is the very purpose of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, joy is the result of obedience to Christ and the life in Christ. Now, we typically don't think of like the rules of God and like the law of God as something that's going to produce joy in us. But if you read through the Old Testament law, the promises that come along with the covenant are joy, peace. I mean, the promises that come with the law of God are that things are going to go well for people. That's what's promised. But then Jesus comes back and makes it even stronger in John 15 that we registered a little while ago. John 15, 10 and 11, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he talks to them about abiding in his love, about how it is that life comes through him, that we must abide in him. And then he says, These, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. He says, I've given you the commandment and I've told you of your life in Christ for one reason. Joy. So you sit here and you say, well, where's the joy? Obey Christ. He promises there's joy there. Obey Christ. There's joy there. Most of the times we're disobeying God are our least joyful times. We may find temporary happiness, but there's no joy. You want joy, true, spirit-given joy. Obedience produces joy. So joy is the purpose of the saving work of Christ. Joy is the result of obedience to Christ. Thirdly, joy is the very heartbeat of the kingdom of God. We think of the kingdom of God as being like, we've got to go on missions, right? I mean, we gotta, it's about missions, and it's about heaven, and it's about this and that, and Maybe it's about what we do and don't do. We've got to come up with our rules and make sure we look like Christians, sound like Christians, talk like Christians, dress like Christians, eat like Christians, drink like Christians, do all the right things as Christians. That's what the kingdom of God is made up of. And what we're told in Romans chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, is that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not made up of the elemental things that you can be judged or not judged on based on what people's opinions are. It's not going to be based on his conviction and his conviction over what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat. That's what the context of Romans determines. But instead, it tells us that the kingdom of God is an issue of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And notice where that righteousness, peace, and joy comes from. Did you catch it? doesn't come from you and I figuring out how to be really joyful and full of peace and super righteous. It's in the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, are you trying to find joy on your own? Well, no wonder we're joyless people if we keep trying to find joy on our own. When joy is promised to come from the Spirit, that the very kingdom of God is made up of those who are joyful because the Spirit indwells us. He goes on in verse 18, he says, whoever serves Christ in this way 
righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. Once again, this is a test of the genuineness of our faith. There's an approval that comes from God. Joy is also the result of the resurrection and return of Christ. We know the righteousness that was purchased for us. We know that we get heaven one day. We know that joy, as C.S. Lewis said, joy is the very business of heaven. (laughs) We know that that's the case. But I want to remind you of something. Joy is at the very heart of the resurrection and return of Christ. In John 16, verses 19 through 22, Jesus had been talking to his disciples about the fact that he's going to be going away. He says, in a little while you're not going to see me anymore. Then you're going to see me again. They're confused, as the disciples tended to be. We're a lot more like the disciples than we like to let on, right? We read Jesus' words. It should be pretty clear to us. And we go, oh, I have no idea. Or we understand it and we just kind of walk away from it anyway. Jesus perceives, because he is God, what their thoughts are. And he says in verse 16, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will not see me or you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. What he means by that is you're going to weep and lament. The world's going to rejoice. They're going to kill me. I'm going to be put in a tomb. They're going to rejoice. You're going to lament. You're going to weep. There's going to be sadness. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. How? The resurrection. Their sorrow is going to turn into joy that his goal, one of his goals in the resurrection is that their joy would be made complete. He goes on to give an illustration of what this would look like. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. That moment comes and the pain that comes with childbirth brings a lot of sorrow. For me, it brought a crazy wife. Okay, And some of you know what I'm talking about. It brought that... like monster uh, came out for a moment and you know there's that sorrow that comes but what does it say but when she's delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world joy trumps the sorrow joy doesn't just ease and soothe the sorrow joy does away with the sorrow Resurrection does away with death. And he goes on to say this. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. At the heart of the power that the resurrection gives us is joy that we can know we have an overcoming God who says now that we are overcomers through Him. So it may be that you're sitting here going, where is the joy in my life? His name is Jesus. And you're not going to find real joy anywhere else. Because joy is at the heart of His resurrection and His appearing. In a couple of weeks, you're going to hear more about this passage, but I wanted to go ahead and introduce it to you today. The last point I want to make, what I'm going to unpack in a couple of weeks is this. Joy finds its fulfillment in the presence of God. 
is Jesus shows back up and brings joy that trumps the sorrow. We've been told for a long time before that that joy finds its fulfillment in the presence of God. Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11. I just want you to hear these words from David. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Okay, so right there you know we can relate to him, right? So he's not in a happy day. He's in a sad day. He's in a bad day. He's in a hard time. If he's asking God to preserve him and he's trying to find refuge, that doesn't sound like things are going really well. Agreed? So we, we can all of a sudden relate. Okay, this isn't a guy who's just like, he plays a harp so that makes him happy. Like that's where his joy comes from. It's not the lion killer that makes him happy. It's not, that's not where his joy is. He's in a hard time and he is looking for joy and he's asking God to preserve him. This is what he says. I say to the Lord, you're my Lord. I have no good apart from you. His joy is produced by recognizing the faithfulness, the fullness of God. As for the saints in this land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. So running after other gods is going to multiply sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Joy is produced by being fully satisfied with God. Are we satisfied with the fact that he's our portion? He's... Is he enough for us? Are, are we satisfied with his plan for our lives or do we want to find plan B? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Joy is produced by fully trusting the strength and the wisdom of God. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. And I want you to underline this if you turn to Psalm 16 because we're going to really hit this in a couple of weeks. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy is full in the presence of God. So what does that look like in heaven? Well, we fully experience the presence of God, there'll be fullness of joy, but we're told we can have that with God ever before us at our right hand and that we have pleasures forevermore in Him. That's true joy, spirit-given joy. Not joy that this world could produce, not joy that our circumstances could produce, not joy that we can muster up but a joy that cannot as Jesus said cannot be taken away from us it can't because it's found in him what is that going to look like well I'll give you a couple of applications as I close and we go to the Lord's Supper I want you to hear that if the Christian life whether that's from the beginning the purpose of the saving work of Jesus the result of obedience to Christ the heartbeat of the kingdom of God, the result of the resurrection and return of Christ, the presence of God in our lives given to us by His Spirit. All of these realities of what joy is linked to and how joy is at the heartbeat of this life means that there are certain realities that can be true for us. This is a list that I got from DesiringGod.org. I thought these few things would just be really helpful. 
One, you can be happier in giving than receiving. Because joy is at the heart of the Christian life. You can be happier in giving than receiving. You, you're able, according to Philippians 3.8, to count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord. Because joy is rooted in Jesus. John 15, the aim of all Jesus' commandments is that your joy would be full. And so you can obey, not out of drudgery and duty, but out of delight in Jesus. If you delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37, 4, He will give you the desires of your heart. If you find joy in Him, then your heart is going to be tuned to Him. He will give to you the desire of your heart. 1 Timothy 6, 6, There is great gain in godliness with contentment, and there is no gain in sin for temporary happiness. In Nehemiah 8.10, The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Joy is at the heart of the Christian life. In fact, I would go so far as to say that without joy there is no Christian life. Without joy we are operating functionally as if God is not good. As if He is not who He says He is. As if He is not moving and making us and transforming us and changing us. What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who honors God by joy. True Christian joy, Jerry Bridges said, is a privilege and a duty. We aren't to sit around waiting on our circumstances to make us joyful. But God intends that every one of His children exhibit the fruit of joy. This is what He's promised. This is what He's going to produce. The fruit of joy, Stanley Gale said, is not rooted in circumstances, but in God's goodness and ultimately in Himself. So I ask you, what's it going to look like this week for you to be joyful? I want to give you one really good truth. Robert Murray McShane tells us this. The Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. The only way that happens is when God produces joy in us. You really think if you're walking around as a joyless person that you're making it easy for people to believe in God? A true Christian is a person whose faith has been tested by trials and joy is produced. And a true Christian is one who finds their greatest joy in Jesus, so they have no choice but to tell others of this great joy. I pray that this week we would do that. As we move to the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to come before the Lord, to set your hearts and minds upon Him, to ask Him to work in you, to be the one who produces this joy. I want to read another quote by Robert Murray McShane as as we move into the Lord's Supper. The purest joy in the world is joy in Christ Jesus. When the Spirit is poured down, His people get very near and clear views of the Lord Jesus. They eat his flesh and drink his blood. They come to a personal cleaving to the Lord. They taste that the Lord is gracious. His blood and righteousness appear infinitely perfect, full and free to their souls. They sit under his shadow with great delight. They rest in the cleft of the rock. 
Their defense is the munitions of rocks. They lean on the beloved. They find infinite strength in him for the use of their soul. Grace for grace. All they can all they can need in any hour of trial and suffering to the very end. The purest joy in the world is joy in Christ Jesus. Grace upon grace is found in the nearness of Jesus. So let's go to him and ask him to draw near to us. Father, I pray that